Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to episode 12 of the Off the Bench podcast. This is your host, as always, Sean Crowell. Uh, Guys, we got a really good episode for you today. I'm really excited. A bunch of NFL, so if you're into football like I am, then you're going to really enjoy this episode. Uh, Guys, again, I'm sorry that I didn't put an episode out last week. You know, I, I keep saying this sporadically here and there, but uh, it's just it's hard to put out an episode every week. All of a sudden, it's it's Monday, Tuesday has passed, and I haven't recorded anything. Um, you know, sometimes I just don't feel like there's a bunch of great stories out. Sometimes I just haven't shuffled through them, or I'm busy doing something with the wife, and those are all excuses and stuff, but here we are. I got ahead of the ball. I got the ball rolling Sunday night after games. I couldn't quite sleep, and I was just thinking about the Seahawks, so I recorded something about them, and then I was thinking about some other teams, and so I got the ball rolling early. But guys, one adjustment. I did record a segment about Tom Brady in the box, but I did that last week. So when you're listening to the segment about Tom Brady, just kind of um, mentally remember and keep in mind that I did record this last week after their game against the Chiefs. So uh, just bear with me on that one. I'm sorry that that one was a week late, but I just decided to keep it because I thought it was valuable instead of uh, just making a whole new one. So guys, uh, yeah, I'm really excited about the episode. And um, guys, uh, one more thing, actually, I did, I did have some thoughts about Russell Wilson. Um, You know, I recorded this Sunday night, like I said. And so I didn't hear any of the reaction on Monday as to why the Seahawks lost. Well, a lot of the reaction that I heard, I do want to respond to. I heard a lot of people saying that this team just isn't very good when Russ is not playing at an MVP level. And I just want to make a small correction there. I just want to point something out that Russ is not only not playing at an MVP type level, but he's actually playing bad. He's He is a below average quarterback the past several weeks of the season. They're on this three and four stretch of the season after starting five and oh, and he has just not been very good. So it's not just that if he doesn't play at an MVP level, well, He's not even playing good. He's not playing average. He's playing below average at this point. So that that's just my opinion. That's what I want to point out. But I'll get into that more later into the segment with the Seahawks in it. Okay, guys, but uh, gear up. Ready to go for this one, and it's going to be a good one. All right, guys, I'm recording this particular segment on December 6, uh, 9 p.m. at night. And I was just thinking about the Seahawks game earlier today. Uh, For those of you who are listening a few days from now or maybe just didn't catch the score next week or whatever it is, the Seahawks just had an ugly, ugly loss today. They lost 17-12 to against the New York Giants at home. And uh, yeah, guys, it was an ugly loss. There's no question about it. Um, I think that there's a few things wrong with the Seahawks. So the Seahawks are now, they're 8-4. and and they started the season 5 and 0 and so since that 5 and 0 stretch their past 7 games they are 3 and 4 um just not a good football team frankly they've had a few ugly losses in there uh they lost to Arizona their first loss of the season they were up the majority of the game had the game in hand and you know just gave it away uh you know they lost the next one to the Bills they looked ugly in that one the pass defense was awful um, you know, and and their past defenses, they've made strides and stuff. So I'm not, you know, 
going to get too upset about it or whatever. Um, they they lost, let's see, to the Rams. Um, offensively, they just looked in shambles in that game. Russell Wilson played poorly. So that was their third loss. And then their fourth loss just today against the Giants. They just looked out of sorts offensively the entire game, guys. And it, it's just been ugly at times. And um, I was thinking about it, and I was just thinking, what what is wrong with this team um, and, and it was like the first five games of the season, we see not even five, the first six, seven games of the season, maybe even eight. It was like this defense is horrible and their offense is the one that's giving them a chance to win. If they are winning games, it's not because of their, because of their defense. They were playing terribly. It was because their offense was just scoring, uh, you know, through the roof. And now these past few games, these past three, four, five games, whatever it is, it's the complete opposite, and it's like a 180. Now it's like their defense is keeping them in these games, and if they lose, it's because offensively they just didn't get it done. Like today, the defense had a number of three and outs. They had, I know, one turnover, maybe two. It's like the defense, I mean, they give up 17 points, so it's not like they're the 85 Bears, but at the same time, it's like they gave up 17 points you know, if we're sitting here before the game saying, well, the Giants are going to score 17 points, I believe that vast majority of Seahawks fans, including their team, will take that and say, yeah, our offense is going to score more than 17 and we're going to win this game. But uh, that was just clearly not the case today. And yeah, guys, I say they scored 12, but I forget too that they blocked a punt for a safety. So they didn't even score those two points. Their offense really scored 10 points total. And, um, you know, obviously one of them was with a short field, too, after a turnover. Quandre Diggs returned, had a really nice return, actually, off that interception and got him, got him into uh, Giants territory in that one. And so it's like this offense has just been ugly. It's been sputtering. It's just been uh, momentum killers. I feel like they're just getting in their own way, frankly. And, guys, what I've, I've come down, what I've come down to is that this offense currently does not have an identity and that's a problem and so they did in their first five six seven games of the season whatever it is their identity was clearly russ is going to be an mvp type player dk metcalf and tyler lockett are going to go off they're going to get solid protection up front and they're going to light up the scoreboard for 30 plus points game in and game out and guys, that was working well. They were 5-0. and You know, they, they ended up, they were 6-1, and I think. And then they were winning games all over the place. But it's like their defense was terrible. And so, you know, they had to be that way. But now it's like, now their defense is playing good ball. And their offense is just playing terribly. And so they, did, they just don't have this identity anymore like they did early in the season where they were just going to light up the scoreboard. They were going to throw deep balls. They were going to complete the, you know these, these long balls to DK and Tyler Lockett. And it's like, I, I don't know, guys. I, I understand that um, you know, Chris Richardson, is, he's an old coach of mine, um, you know, coaches at North Kitsap. He's going to be a colleague of mine coming up here. Chris Richardson once told me, and I'll never forget this, he said explosive plays win football games, and that is just absolutely true. You can play, you know, even throughout the whole thing, but if you have an explosive play that's going to blow the game wide open, get you on the scoreboard, get you an easy six points, and then it also does, you know, everything for the momentum, and it's, so it's like explosive plays win ball games, and I stand by that, and I believe that. 
But you simply cannot rely on just explosive plays in your offense to, to get you through. And so what we see is when DK Metcalf doesn't hit, you know, two or three long balls a game and Tyler Lockett's not getting open for these crazy scramble plays where he somehow ends up with 45 yards and Russell Wilson isn't playing like, you know, an MVP caliber type quarterback, then it's like they they can't move the ball effectively. They scored 10 points today and it's because they didn't have those explosive plays. If you look at each and every time they've scored 30 plus points, it's not because they're methodically moving the ball just down the defense's throat. It's because they're hitting DK over the top. They're hitting Tyler Lockett over the top. Russ is making some magician-like play. It's not because they are methodically just moving the ball and you can't stop them. And guys, that's the problem is once you get deeper into the season, that, that stuff's all great in September when defenses are struggling, when defenses can't get it together. Do you guys ever notice that when it's warm outside in September, when defenses are new, uh, you tend to see higher scoring games? Okay, September, we see this all the time. This is, this is what we saw a few years back with the Chiefs before they had Pat Mahomes. We saw this with Alex Smith, and that was the knock on Andy Reid too is that like... This Chiefs team and just Andy Reid's team as a whole, they always win in September. They always light up the scoreboard in September. But when it, once it gets cold and defenses kind of have some tape on you and defenses start to tighten up their schemes and they limit those explosive plays and all of a sudden Andy Reid's teams weren't very good. Not, not very good. That's obviously not the case. They always made playoff runs, but they couldn't quite get the job done to the very end is what I'm saying. And so you have this, this is the case with the Seahawks where they can't move the ball effectively without these explosive plays. You just need to be able to put at least 21 points on the board just by earning it. And then anything else that you get after that is just like, that's just big time bonus right there. If DK hits a long ball, you're just, at that point, you're just ecstatic because it's like, we didn't even need that and we still got it. So it's like icing on the cake. But guys, that, that is the Seahawks' main problem right now is they struggle to move the ball methodically down the field. And I'm not even sitting here going, yeah, the Seahawks, they got to you know run the ball smash mouth like two years ago, like last year, and they got to just take eight-minute drives off the clock and impose their will. Like that's not, that's not even what I'm saying. I still think, guys, Russ can cook all he wants, but we still need to be able to hit some crossing routes for five yards, hit the tight end over the middle for five yards. We need to have Chris Carson be able to run the ball for six yards every now and then when he needs to. And it's just like, guys, we're not getting that right now. And it's just frustrating the heck out of me. And it's like, I don't know what it is, why we can't seem to sustain drives, whether it's just this random holding call here or there, whether it's, you know, Chris Carson dropping a couple of balls. Um, you know, I, I don't know what it is. But guys, this this offense just does not have an identity right now. And I it was set up perfectly in their first drive of the game. If you guys watch the Seahawks Giants game, the very first drive. Um, I was worried, you know, I'm always worried about Seattle. Are they going to come to play versus bad teams? They tend to have these ultra close games that are just kind of wild and down to the wire. You guys know if you're a fan, that's, that's always the way they do it. 
And so I'm always concerned about the Seahawks when they play a bad team. And the Giants, at this point, they're not even a bad team. They've won like four games in a row. They started off like one and five or one and seven or some garbage like that. So obviously they're not a great team, but they started off extremely poorly. In these last few games, they've been playing really well. So, okay, so hats off to the Giants. But this is definitely about the Seahawks' ineptitude on offense. Okay, guys, so I, I was worried of whether the Seahawks were going to come to play. In this first drive, they are cooking. They are moving the ball down the field easily. Chris Carson is gashing them with a run. You know, Russell Wilson hits a nice pass or two. Um, but they're just moving the ball, like, easily. It it just looked like, holy cow, this is the Seahawks came to play today. But then they get inside the red zone and for some reason, Shoddy just calls three pass plays in a row when it's like, dude, you got down there because Chris Carson was gashing these dudes in the run. Like, they could not stop Carson. He was absolutely trucking these guys wide open holes. They were not prepared. And then all of a sudden, it's like you just throw the ball three consecutive times with Russell. And I'm, of course, Russell can throw the ball. I think Russell's an, an amazing quarterback. But if you... If you're making a profit every single time, then you're never going to go broke. But all of a sudden, they just went away from the formula, which was running the ball, which is what was gashing the Giants, getting them all the way down the field. And they just decide to throw the ball. Ruins the momentum of the whole game. They have to settle for three. And it's like their offense was just never the same after that. And so this, this team just needs an identity. And it's at the point where... The defense is now doing their job, and the defense is never going to be, this is not going to be some top five defense here, but they're going to get their sacks when they need to, and they're going to make their plays when they need to, and they're going to be a middle-of-the-road defense. Guys, the last three, four games, they've been playing great ball. Not even like, just eh. Like, they've been playing pretty good. They gave up 17 of the Eagles, but it was more like nine, really, because they had that you know, stupid Hail Mary at the end. And then it's like today against the Giants, their offense just keeps peeing down their leg. And so they end up giving 17 points, but it's like even their special teams got two back. So it's almost like they gave up 15 points, not 17. And really they played pretty good. Uh, you know, they got stuck inside their own territory after Russell threw a pick. It, it wasn't Russell's fault. It was freaking hit Chris Carson right in the face mask and the Giants catch it. So the defense actually... Uh, you know, played really good standing up in that situation. I think they forced a field goal, if I'm right. Don't quote me on that. They might have scored a touchdown. But anyway, so they got stuck with some bad field position and stuff. And it's like, man, this defense is actually playing pretty good. Like, they're winning the field position game. And, you know, I, I don't know, man. I, I don't I don't like it. I don't like what they're doing right now. They need to run the ball more effectively is the main thing. And... um yeah, that's their biggest problem is they want to get all cute and they want to let Russ cook and they want to say, oh, Russ is an MVP type candidate. And it's like, that's all great and all. But what has been the successful formula for the Seahawks for the past, I don't know, 10 years has been them running the ball, being a smash mouth football team, and then having Russell throw the ball, control the game and give you a 110 passer rating every single time. And that has led to constant 10, 11, 12 win seasons every single season. And so it's like, I don't know why you go away from that. And you don't necessarily need to be 
the Seahawks from two years ago who hardly ever threw the ball or the Seahawks last year who still didn't throw the ball that much, you can still throw the ball more than you run it. You can still allow Russell to be Russell, but you still need to run the ball effectively. They they threw the ball almost double the amount of times as they ran the ball. They ran it 22 times and they threw it 43 times. And guys, more of those even were more of those rushes were dropbacks. Russell ran the ball seven times, and none of those were designed runs. So it's really like they dropped back to pass it fifty times, and they actually only tried to run it fifteen times. Guys, that is terrible. They need to run the ball more often. Chris Carson, guys, all I was hearing while Chris Carson was out and Carlos Hyde were out was. Oh man, the Seahawks just wait till they get these guys back. They're gonna be this smash mouth, run the football type team. They're gonna get their identity back. And all of a sudden you're playing the New York Giants, and it's like they just go away from the run. And you have Chris Carson, who is an elite running back, in my opinion, but they only hand him the ball 13 times for 65 yards. He averaged five yards a carry and they only gave it to him 13 times. It's not like they were down the whole game. They were down in the fourth quarter and they needed to throw the ball at the end there. But it's like Chris Carson is gashing these dudes and you just did not give him the ball. Guys, you can tell, I, you know, I don't feel good about it. This team just, offensively, they don't have an identity. They are elite on special teams. Jason Myers cannot miss a kick, knock on wood, okay? Uh, Dixon is an elite all-pro punter, okay? He knocks them down inside the 10-yard line almost every single time. Today, he put one through the end zone, but that's because he kicked it from like his own 20, so he just let that baby go, and it turns out that he had a giant leg, and he just kicked it into the end zone. It was like an 80-yard punt, okay? Their kicker is elite. Their punter is elite. Their special teams unit is elite. Their defense is definitely not elite, but they're playing good ball at this point, okay? They get timely turnovers. They get three and outs. They get pressure on the quarterback. They get what you need, okay? And they still have a couple guys out. They're on like their number four corner at this point. So if they get number two cornerback healthy, Quentin Dunbar, they're going to be in really good shape. It's like their defense is playing good. Their special teams is playing good. Their offense is not playing good. Okay, and that's on Russell Wilson taking sacks all the time. It's like, Russ, you can throw the ball away for once. And when I say throw the ball away, that doesn't mean throw it to nowhere and get an intentional grounding call because that's been a problem as of late. And then we also have their play calling issue. And it's like, guys, run the football. And you don't have to run it, you know, until your freaking knuckles bleed. And you don't have to run it like you're, you know, the 80 bears or whatever it is. And it's like, you never pass it. And, you know, allow Russell to be Russell. But at the same time, you can run it more than 15 times. Especially when you have a back like Chris Carson and Carlos Hyde. And especially when Chris Carson is running for five yards a carry. You are allowed to run the ball more than 15 times in the game. You don't have to pass it 50 times. Okay, I know you have DK. I know you have Tyler Lockett. I know Russ is a great quarterback. But you know when Russ excels? When he doesn't have to throw it 50 times a game. When he's got to throw it 30 times a game. He's going to do much, much better. You know how that offensive line is going to do in pass protection? They're going to do much better when the defense doesn't know that they're going to run it. Or excuse me, that they're going to throw it every single play. 
And so, guys, this team just does not have an identity right now. They think that they're a smash-mouth football team with Pete Carroll, but they also think that they're going to, you know, be a let Russ cook football team. Oh, Russ is for MVP. No. Okay, you know, you know who I miss? I miss the old Russell Wilson. The Russell Wilson who just didn't say anything, handed the ball off, and threw dimes to his receivers. The Russell Wilson who wasn't filing a trademark for let Russ cook. The Russell Wilson who was just... I don't know, going home to his wife, Sierra, and just not saying anything to the media all the time about being an MVP candidate. I miss the Russ who would hand the ball off 25 times a game and throw it 33 times a game. That's the Russ that I miss. The Russ who doesn't turn the ball over. The Russ who has a 110 quarterback rating. The Russ who throws the ball away when he needs to instead of taking 25 sacks a game. Okay, guys, I was thinking about rookie quarterbacks, and uh, there's some different types of, you know, rookie quarterbacks that you get as far as their play goes, and as also as far as the team goes. So most of the time what you get is you get a bad team who's drafting high, and they're bad because they don't have a quarterback. So they select a quarterback, and... Uh, most of the time, you know, if they go, you know, number one, number two or whatever, that quarterback shows some promise, but the teams don't win because the team is still bad. Uh, an example of that is just like this year, Joe Burrow, he comes in and the Bengals are bad. And we all know this and Joe Burrow is playing pretty good and, uh, nobody holds it against the Bengals that they're not playing well. And nobody holds it against Joe Burrow that they're not winning games because it's like, they're not really expected to win games. Um, it's just a big congrats to Joe Burrow that he's just playing well. And even though the Bengals suck, everybody in Cincinnati is still excited because Joe Burrow is playing good ball. Okay, so you get a situation like that. Um, you also get situations where the, you know, the team is bad and the quarterback, who is a rookie, is also playing bad. And so he's not helping their situation at all. And an example of this is uh, Josh Rosen from a few years ago. The Arizona Cardinals were terrible. They drafted Rosen at like number nine or something like that. I can't remember. And uh, Rosen was, he was bad. And the Cardinals were also bad. Now, I'm not going to sit here and, and say whether Rosen would have been good if he played for a better team, whatever. I, I don't care. But that's just an example of a quarterback who didn't play good. And then their team was also not very good. But every now and then, you sort of just hit the lottery and you get extremely lucky. This is what every team hopes for when they draft a new quarterback, is that the team is actually ready to win and the quarterback who comes in, the rookie quarterback, is actually playing good ball. And so it's like, holy cow, this is insane. We get a bite of the apple this year. Our quarterback is playing good and our team is just good. And so we're going to go to the playoffs. We're going to get really good experience. We're going to say that we've been there before. And even though you might not win a Super Bowl, uh, you rarely do with a rookie quarterback. You can say, you know, you've been there before and you can build off that for year two and year three. And so this is what every team hopes for. And it's honestly pretty rare. Okay. I, it actually happened three times in 2012, uh, kind of an anomaly, really. And that was the year where Russell Wilson was a rookie quarterback, and RG3 was a rookie quarterback, and so was Andrew Luck, okay? And um, 
Uh, Russell came in. He was playing good, and the Seahawks were just good. And so they made the playoffs. They made the second round. And RG3 was playing good. He won Rookie of the Year. And um, uh, the Washington football team was playing pretty good, and they made the playoffs. And the same can be said with Andrew Luck and the Colts. Um, You know, you could argue that Andrew Luck honestly kind of carried that team as a rookie. Uh, You know, you could make that argument, but just just go with me here, okay? So you want to hit the jackpot when you see a rookie quarterback who – is playing really good and your team is also really good that's like holy cow you hit the lottery okay and like i said it doesn't usually go down like that usually it's like a joe burrow situation where oh man my quarterback's playing pretty good and we still suck and you know we're not supposed to be good and that's okay everybody's just excited for the future okay and you had that same with uh last year with kyler murray kyler murray was playing good ball and he's showing promise but the cardinals were still bad i mean they're supposed to be bad Okay, you see that almost every single year. Okay, guys, just a few more examples from, you know, I talked about those three from 2012. A couple years ago, we had that with Lamar Jackson, and he didn't even get to play the whole season. I think he came in like halfway through the year or something, but it's like, holy cow, Lamar's playing good, and the Ravens are also good, and they made the postseason, and they built upon that for the next season. Obviously, last year, they went 14-2. and They definitely built off of Lamar's rookie year. You're seeing that this year as well. You see that with the Dolphins this year where, oh my gosh, Tua's playing pretty good and the Dolphins are also good. And they're in like this, oh, we don't have to wait for the future. We're good now. And so all of a sudden, you know, they're eight and four, whatever they are, nine and three, I don't know. And uh, they're fighting for a playoff spot. They're going to make the playoffs. Okay, so what you have here is the Chargers are an extremely talented team. Okay, make no mistake about it. I don't care how bad they are. This team has superstars all over it, okay? They have Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Austin Eckler. They drafted a new running back. He's a rookie. He's playing good ball. They have, uh, you know, defensively, they have Joey Bosa. They have a couple of stud corners. They have Melvin Ingram. It's like, dude, around the board, this team is just stacked with talent. The GM has done an A-plus job. Scouting department, A-plus job. Coaching staff, F-minus. Absolutely terrible job by the coaching staff, and specifically Anthony Lynn. So what you have is what every team needs is a rookie quarterback who's actually playing amazing in Justin Herbert. Forget about today. Bill Belichick makes rookie quarterbacks look terrible all the time. Just forget about it. Okay. So you have Justin Herbert, who's playing amazing football right now. And then you just have this ultra-talented roster that they have. And they are throwing it away with a 3-9 and season. They are complete garbage because they simply cannot coach their way out of a box. And guys, this is an all-time opportunity. And you cannot waste these. And they're wasting one right now. So here's how it works. With quarterbacks, especially good ones, they get expensive extremely quickly. And when your quarterback gets expensive, all of a sudden your team isn't as talented anymore. Okay, so ask Seattle. They paid Russell Wilson. All of a sudden they can't afford everybody in the Legion of Boom. They can't afford all these pass rushers that are just going out the wazoo. They can't afford this outstanding offensive line anymore. 
And now, Seattle is, yeah, they're a talented team, but they are not nearly as talented because Russell Wilson's taking up half the cap space. Okay, so that's what happens when your team, um, when your quarterback, excuse me, gets really expensive. And that's going to happen very quickly. Okay, so you only have a one, two, three, maybe four-year window before your quarterback gets extremely expensive and your team is just not as talented anymore. Okay, so take another team. Just take the Chiefs, for example. Now that Patrick Mahomes is extremely rich, $500 million deal, which some people actually think is a discount, the Chiefs in future years are not going to be quite as talented as they were, say, last year when they won the Super Bowl. And of course, the Chiefs are always going to be talented. They're always going to find a way. Uh, You know, guys want to ring chase. They're going to take less. Uh, It's just going to happen. So the Chiefs are always going to be good. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is once your quarterback gets really good, your team is not going to be as talented anymore. So you have this small window in the first few years where your quarterback's playing lights out, but he's cheap as heck. And then you got this team who's an amazingly talented roster behind him. And it's like, holy cow, this team is dangerous. Okay, so that's why you see teams like the Ravens last year. In uh, Lamar's second year in the league, holy cow, they're 14-2, and two, number one seed. And yeah, they choked in the playoffs, but that's beside the point. It's like this team was dangerous. They were locked and loaded. That's why you see a team like Patrick Mahomes or and the Chiefs who, yeah, it was Mahomes' third year in the league technically, but really it was his second year playing, and they win the Super Bowl because this team's super talented and Patrick Mahomes is cheap. And that's why you get a team like the Seahawks when Russell Wilson was in his second and third year. He's super cheap. And it's like this team is ultra-talented and they're super dangerous and they go to back-to-back Super Bowls. So that's what can happen. That is your ceiling. You can literally go to Super Bowls with this formula. That's what teams have been doing in the past. That's what the Eagles did in 2018 with uh, Carson Wentz. And, you know, honestly, the Patriots are kind of the exception because Tom Brady, for some reason, never had a huge deal, um, unlike every other quarterback ever, okay? Uh, The Rams also did this with Jared Goff, ultra-talented team, young quarterback playing well in his first quarter, in his first contract, excuse me, and they make the Super Bowl. Okay, so you see this all the time. You rarely see a rookie quarterback lead their team to the Super Bowl or to a Super Bowl victory. And guys, that's, that's not the point. I'm not saying that the Chargers needed to win the Super Bowl this year, but they needed to get in the tournament. They needed to get a playoff spot. They needed to get that valuable experience for their team because rarely do you just make the playoffs your first year and just immediately go to the Super Bowl and win. A lot of times you have to build up. So you have to go to the playoffs. You have to fail. Then you come back the next year and you win a couple more games that maybe you fail. And then you make it back and it's like it's your time. You have all the experience and you win the, you win the chip. Okay, so that's kind of what happens in theory. The Chargers are just throwing that away. This entire season, so they have a talented roster, an amazing quarterback, and they are throwing their lottery ticket out the window, saying we don't want it because their coaching staff is so inept. Guys, I truly believe that this uh, coaching opening that they're going to have, and if they don't fire uh, Anthony Lynn, that's just going to be the biggest mistake of the Chargers' ownership of all time. Okay, so I'm just assuming they're going to fire him because they would be completely idiotic to not fire him. So once they fire him, in my opinion, this may be the best job in the past, 
I, I can't name uh, you know a specific amount of years, but ever since I can remember. I cannot remember a team that is ultra-loaded throughout the board, just talent everywhere. And then also a quarterback on a rookie deal who is playing amazing football. Guys, they've been ahead in the majority of their games this season. They were leading the Chiefs until they choked that away in like week two. They were leading the Bucks, who everybody loves, and then they choked that away. And they were leading the Saints, who were like 9-2 and two or something, 10-2. and two. And they were leading the Saints before they choked that one away. So it's like this team can compete with anybody in the league. This coaching staff that they have is just holding them back. Guys, this is the most attractive coaching job in uh, recent memory, in my opinion. Okay, and they need to get it done fast because three, four years from now, Justin Herbert is going to be expensive. And this team is not going to be as talented because he is expensive. And then it's going to be more difficult. You're going to have your quarterback, so it's going to be okay and you're always going to be relevant and you're going to always have a shot, but you are going to have an amazing shot. If you can get it done in the next, this year's gone. So next year, the year after, uh, you're going to have a serious bite at the apple here. And they need to make the most of it in the coming years. Okay, guys, Chargers, look out for them next year. If they get a coaching staff in the building who can build some semblance of a winning culture, they're going to be extremely dangerous. I'm talking playoff runs and Super Bowl contention, okay? And it's always going to be tough because they're in the same division as Patrick Mahomes. So just winning the division is going to be difficult, but nothing is impossible, okay? And they're going to have a shot. So when I was in high school, I was a senior and it was my last semester of, of high school. And I had this civics teacher and I, I graduated in 2016 and uh, obviously that was an election year, 2016. And so when I was getting ready to graduate this last semester, you know, the semester is like January through, you know, May or June or whatever. And so all through uh, my last semester of high school, we were going through uh, Republican debates. We were going through Democratic debates you know, all that sort of stuff, just getting ready and just gearing up for the presidential election in 2016 in November. So I remember in our civics class, we're talking about it. And, you know, young people, civics is huge. It's so important. Young people need this stuff just to become, you know, informed citizens, informed voters. You need to be able to kind of understand the way the whole thing goes. And so civics was huge for me. And I remember... I remember we were talking about a debate that was on, you know, the previous night in class. And, um, you know, the teacher, he was really good about it. He wasn't, he didn't tell us, you know, which party he was or which candidate he really liked. We just simply went through and we talked about who do you think did well in this debate? And you had to actually bring evidence. You couldn't just say, you know, I like Ted Cruz because blah, blah, blah. And so you had to actually say, you know, why you like Ted Cruz, if, if that was the case. And I remember one candidate in particular had a previous stance on something and he actually changed his mind and he backtracked and he said, oh, wait, in this debate, I'm going to do this now. And so in the debate, he came out and said, actually, you know, 
previously I have said this and this has been my stance on this issue. And I'm not going to go over the issue or even which candidate it was. It's, it's unimportant. But me and my other classmates were sitting there like, well, he can't backtrack on what he said. If that's his stance, he's got to keep it, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we're, you know, 17, 18 years old. And so that's, that's the way that dumb kids probably do think and should think. But our teacher, he just looks at all of us and he looks at us like we're dumb. And he says, so do you want a president who's closed-minded and doesn't listen to his people and doesn't listen to the citizens of the country? And he's like, why are you guys so angry that he changed up his stance and he got feedback from his party? He got feedback from his supporters saying, no, we don't want you to do that. We want you to support this. And then he changed it. That's how it should be. But we were all sitting there as kids going, no, that's stupid. He's got to stick with what he said, blah, blah, blah. And that was important. That was huge for me. Just to have my teacher point out to me that actually it's good to evolve and it's good to be flexible and it's good to change your opinion when you are presented with new information. And guys, that was huge. You can't just be saying the same old thing when you're presented with new information because that's just nonsense. Okay, you're presented with new information, you got to form a new and evolved opinion. And that's okay. That's okay. You know, if you're a doctor in the 1960s, and cigarettes come out, and all you know about cigarettes is that they're good for you, and uh, they help relieve stress, and then you prescribe some cigarettes to your patients, you're not going to be sitting here in 2020 and saying, well, you know, in 1960, I prescribed them, so I still got to prescribe them because I can't change my opinion. I can't change my mind. Well, no, we'd all say you're crazy. You're presented with new information. We now know that cigarettes are terrible for you. So as a doctor, you don't prescribe them anymore. Okay, so that's, that's what it's all about. And guys, we have to do this. We have to change our mind on a certain player that we have here in the NFL, who is probably the greatest of all time at the position of quarterback. Because we have to evolve our opinions and our thoughts on Tom Brady. We simply have to evolve at this point. It is no longer an option. The decline, in my opinion, has been happening for several years, and it is profound this season. And I just can't help but notice he doesn't look good anymore. But all I hear on the TV when I watch the game, I'm recording this Sunday night, by the way, around 5 o'clock. All I hear when I just finish watching the Chiefs-Bucks game is Tony Romo on there covering up for every single mistake that Tom Brady makes. Guys, it made me sick. I'm just sitting there and he's like, huge overthrow out of bounds by Tom Brady early in you know the first or second quarter. And Tony Romo's sitting there saying, well, see, Antonio Brown doesn't usually come out of the backfield, and that's where he was lined up. So he wasn't able to adjust to, to the throw because it was a blitz, and he's got to be able to turn around. And I was just like, Tony, Tom Brady threw it five yards over his head and out of bounds. How can you just sit here and say that's on Antonio Brown? And then he threw, late in the game, you know, he throws a slant to, I don't even know. It wasn't one of their top receivers. And Tony Romo's sitting, and it's a terrible throw. 
honestly just awful way overthrown um just a laser through the back of the end zone not even close and and tony romo's sitting there saying well his receivers got to get flat down the line and see these are the adjustments that they still haven't made here in tampa and as soon as they get these things going then uh they're going to be a championship contender and i'm just like tony that was an awful throw okay we can acknowledge that tom brady is the goat but we can also be flexible and change our opinion at this point in his career. And we can say that he is a below average quarterback. We can say that. Guys, do you know how talented the Bucks are at wide receiver, at running back, O-line? Their entire defense is stacked. And we're sitting here and they're at like seven and five. They're not good. They've literally beat some poor teams, and they've lost to every decent team they've played except for one. And But we're still sitting here making excuses for Tom Brady like, you know, like he's still his old prime self. And guys, that's okay. He's not in his prime anymore, and he shouldn't be because he's 43 years old. But we can't keep talking about this guy like... He's still one of the best in the game because, frankly, it's not close. I would rather have at least 15 other quarterbacks in the league before I would choose Tom Brady. At least. He's got to be bottom half in the league at this point. And I don't know, guys. I just go through. I'd rather have Goff. I'd rather have Garoppolo at this point. I'd rather have Russell Wilson. I'd definitely rather have Kyler Murray. I'd rather have Rodgers. You know, I wouldn't take one of the Bears QBs. I'd probably rather have Kirk Cousins. He can keep you in games and not throw two picks every game. Uh, You know, I'd rather have Matt Stafford. I'd probably rather have Matt Ryan at this point. I might rather have Drew Brees. Drew Brees isn't throwing three picks a game. You know, so that's just the NFC. I didn't even mention the AFC, and I skipped a whole division. I'd rather have Dak. You know, Carson Wentz is playing awful this year. I probably would take Brady over Wentz. But guys, I just talked about one conference, and I named like 10 guys who I'd rather have. So we can't just keep beating our heads against the wall going, well, Brady has six rings. Well, Brady was dominant for 20 years in New England. Well, Brady's been to nine Super Bowls. I guess he's still probably the best. No. He's not the best anymore. He is being dragged by a superior roster. See, that's the difference. When you watch Patrick Mahomes versus Tom Brady this game, you can really see, okay, Kansas City is stacked. I'm not saying they're not stacked. But Patrick Mahomes pulls this roster. This team is better than they would be because of Patrick Mahomes. Tom Brady is not pulling this roster. He is getting pulled by this roster. I think I've talked on here about tractors and trailers. Okay, trailers get pulled. Tractors do the pulling. Right now, Tom Brady is a trailer. Guys, this roster is stacked. Wide receivers, they have three pro bowlers. Running backs, they probably have two pro bowlers. Offensive line, they drafted in the first round. And they got some good ones. Defense, this team is stacked. Their secondary and linebackers, stacked. Okay, so 
he is 100% being pulled along by this roster. And guys, I just can't sit there and listen to Tony Romo anymore talk about, well, you know, they didn't have any preseason this year. That As soon as they get these things caught up and up to snuff, they'll be in good shape. Tony, it's week 12. That excuse was maybe valid. I'm not a big excuse guy, okay? But I understand there's reasons and there are excuses. There are both. Okay, and in week one, week two, week three, those were probably good reasons as to why their offense might have looked out of sync. While they had no preseason, they couldn't really get together with COVID. You know, those may may be reasons. But we're sitting here at week 12, and those are now excuses. And those are no longer reasons. Guys, Tom Brady is not good enough anymore. And I simply cannot listen to Tony Romo give 100,000 reasons as to why that bad throw was actually on the receiver. And, uh, you know, why that one play, the crossing route that they ran to the tight end that got 15 yards. Oh, yeah, that's a that's a Tom Brady New England special. And the one incomplete pass that they throw uh, that happens to have a guy wide open. Yeah, that's a you know, that's a Bruce Arians play. We don't like those, and that's why that was incomplete. And I'm just sitting there like, okay, uh, well, maybe the tight end crossing route that got 15 yards is actually just a play that's in every single playbook in the NFL, and that's not a New England special. And maybe Tom Brady should actually hit the receiver on the play that was designed by Bruce Arians. Guys, I can't stand it. And at this point, we need to be flexible and we need to be willing to change our minds and change our opinions based on what we are seeing. And what we are seeing is that Tom Brady is no longer a top-tier quarterback in the NFL. He's not even in the top half of quarterbacks in the NFL. And I haven't gone through it, but maybe I should, and maybe he would be a bottom third quarterback in the league. Guys, he is no longer even close to special. He's being pulled by this roster, and I can no longer listen to any more excuses as to why this offense is underperforming. All right, guys, it's time for the Off the Bench MVP here today. And guys, we got a special one for you. This week, it is Wayne Gallman, guys. And Wayne Gallman is the running back for the New York Giants. And I really hate to give him this award because he ran all over the Seahawks. He had a huge game against them uh, just this past Sunday. And guys, he uh, was just alone. He just had running lanes and he was just difficult to tackle. Normally, he is Saquon Barkley's backup, but he's stepped into quite the role this season. Obviously, as Saquon got injured in you know just a second or third game this season. And so Wayne Gallman has stepped up. And uh, yeah, he didn't exactly come from nowhere. So he was on the Clemson uh, championship team with Deshaun Watson that came back to win that game against Alabama. And so uh, Wayne Gallman, he, you know, he's not just some random guy that they found off the street here. So he's been in the league a few years now. Uh, he's pretty much been a backup. But with Saquon going down this year, he's had a big-time impact on this team. He's got 109 carries on the year for 504 yards. Guys, that's an average of 4.6 yards per carry. And if you can carry the rock for 4.6 yards every time you touch it, guys, that is a really, really solid average. So he's been really good. And uh, they've been kind of sharing the ball amongst some other guys as well, you know. Some other guys have some rushes in there too. They've got uh, Alf- Alfred Morris, Devontae Freeman in there. So it's like, 
man, they didn't really count on Gallman to be doing much this season when you signed Freeman and then you have Morris as well and then you have Saquon obviously leading the charge. So they were thinking that Gallman was kind of going to take a step back this season in a reduced role. But with uh, Saquon going down, it seems like Gallman's really the uh, the premier back that the Giants have and he's taken full advantage of his opportunity. And guys, he just had a heck of a game. Yeah, that's right, guys. He had 16 carries for 135 yards, and so that is a that is a huge, huge day for Wayne Gallman, and he is definitely going to be your off-the-bench MVP here today. You know, versus the Seahawks, the Seahawks have a good running defense, and he just destroyed them. He went for 8.4 yards per carry, and so it's like this dude had a heck of a day. Big win against the Seahawks. Here we go, Wayne Gallman, your off-the-bench MVP. Um, other than that, guys, if you guys enjoy the pod, make sure to retweet it on Twitter, uh, you know, share my story on, on Snap, on on Instagram. I really appreciate all that stuff. Just anything to kind of just get it out to another person here or there. Um, at the end of the day, if even one single person enjoys the podcast every week that I make, then to me, it's worth it. All right, guys, getting ready to wrap up the end of the podcast here. And uh, I just want to thank you guys. I want to thank you guys for just continuing to listen to me, whether I come out with a weekly pod or not. Um, I'm not very consistent with the days. You know, it's 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 tough just getting them out at a consistent time, consistently every week. And that's something that I'm going to try and uh, Im- improve at. But I really just appreciate you guys sticking with me, whether I'm releasing the pod on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Uh, whether I release one every week or not, you guys keep coming back and, and I just really appreciate that. Um, you know, it means a lot to me. I, I just enjoy doing this, guys. I, I just really like it. I really like getting my thoughts out there. Um, you know, I don't need all these things. I don't need the extra shares, the retweets, but guys, at the same time, I, I do appreciate it. So if you guys really like that stuff, make sure to, uh, you know, keep promoting it, keep getting it out there. But um, other than that, guys, yeah, like I said, I really appreciate you listening. I hope that you guys enjoyed the takes today and uh, I hope that you guys have a good one.